This week on the show, we're joined by Ryan Payton, international manager for Kojima Productions from 2005 to 2008, narrative designer for Halo 4, and founder of the independent video game studio Camouflage. Also, if you enjoy the show and want to help support it, make sure to check out our Patreon, where you can get episodes early, give topic suggestions, get merch discounts, and listen into our uncut recordings live. Speaking of merch, make sure to check out Series 1 of the Kojima Frequency Gear, available now on Redbubble. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, did you move back to Japan, or are you just kind of working over there? Or? Uh, yeah, for the moment, it's, you know, with the world, in the current state of things, it's uh, everything's a little bit up in the air, but uh, yeah, I'm currently like living in Japan at the moment. Oh man, so you're kind of stuck there too if you got to travel or anything. Technically, not entirely stuck, but it makes it a lot more difficult. Uh, they have a lot more. It's getting out is, is fairly easy, but coming back in, as I'm sure you've read, is a lot more difficult. So even for residents, it, you have to go through a four-day uh, hotel quarantine, which you're not allowed out of your room, and and then there's a subsequent 10, 12-day, um, you know, where they have the, the, where the patriots are, are watching your every move, um, where they, they force you to install uh, apps on your phone that like track your GPS location, in which they call you oh, at random whoa. times. You got to check in throughout the day, so you're you're not allowed to like leave your your home basically. Wow. Yeah. So it's 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 so they're I, I am technically allowed to get out. You know, they're not screwing around, and it's not fun when you come back. So it's a very it's a it's a quite a, the the deterrent <laughs> to for international travel for anybody who's living here at the moment. My wife and I have been planning a trip there. Uh, it's just been on our list for ages. And it's like, okay, well, look, they're they're finally dropping the lockdowns. We can start figuring this out. And they're right. locked down again. And they're locked down again. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's we're never going to get there. Anybody's guess when things will start to open up again. Uh, anybody's guess, yeah. But that's good. I mean, like, it's there. it seems like Japan has a really good handle on everything. They do. I mean, they're so... It's all relative, obviously, but they, you know, they'll they'll get really nervous about having a hundred COVID cases reported in a day, um, in which you know other countries would just you know just love to have that problem. Uh, right. And so, yeah, they they it's yeah, it's interesting. I think I, I'm I'm happy that I'm not a policymaker because I think it's a really difficult challenge at the moment, which is you've got relatively low numbers, even when things are quote unquote bad over here. Uh, and, but, and you've also got uh, a lot of industries that, um, that really depend on tourism and on travel. Uh, if, in fact, you probably know this, but, uh, Japan became like over the last decade have become like, has become like a really big tourism, uh, location across the world. Like I think maybe top five now up there with like Paris and other places. Oh, wow. And, um, and so they've built up a lot of infrastructure. I mean, the Olympics was a, it was like the, the crown jewel for that whole, initiative and then from that point on it was going to be their tourism was going to really help them turn around their economy and and then with covid it was just the like the, the saddest thing just to see all this infrastructure built all of these industries be built up and propped up for this and just hit at the worst time and it's really sad to see so there's a lot of pressure obviously to policymakers to open things up right but they're they're very reluctant to do so that's just really depressing man yeah, yeah. So we'll start on that note. <laughs> yeah, right. Like this is the best, most cheerful topic we could have possibly started with. <laughs> our, our other idea was to start with, dude. What's with you and the number four? So I don't know if that's like oh, better. No. Or oh yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, oh, it was it was very um, ominous, right? Um, Lunar Nights, which was uh, Bokuro no Taiyo four, and Metal Gear Solid four, and then Halo four. 
Is that is that the last four that I got involved with? I think it was. We just need one more, and then we have four. That's, of the that's a question for you. You know. <laughs> you know, so I got three I more really republics to make. I, I really should not say this, but I might be working on another four. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Now I got to think about it. It depends. It depends on how you count. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it is. I, I feel like I know what it is, and I don't want to. Sp- I'm not. I'm not. Saying yeah, don't. I think I know don't. What it is. We're gonna get. Yep. We're gonna get. Yeah, don't get me in trouble. <laughs> don't get me in Man. trouble. But yeah, what is up with me in the number four? It's uh, it's, it's it's an interesting place to be, right? Because by the time a, a, a popular franchise gets to number four, a lot of the kind of obvious things that the creators should be doing have been done in the first three games, and then four. I, at least I find is where you know the, the, it, it can be a little bit challenging. I was I was I was I've been playing a little bit of Halo Infinite recently and I was thinking about how when we were working on Halo 4 all of the things that we wanted to do weren't entirely they were they were all the things that were kind of like on the cutting room floor if you're going to do like a more standard Halo game and I think if you play Halo 4 you can see that there wasn't anything revolutionary about it uh, it was more of a refinement of that of that of that franchise and it's because it's really hard. It's like, oh, you want to have more vehicles? Oh, they did that in three. Oh, you want to have, uh, you know, bigger multiplayer? You know, they did that in three. Oh, you want to have like um, a forge where you can create your own maps? Oh, they did that in three. You know, there's just so many things that they they were, do, they were able to do in the first three iterations. And Metal Gear is a little bit different, obviously, though, right? Yeah, in a weird way, Metal Gear sort of has a uh, a gene shared with Final Fantasy, where they sort of reinvent themselves every time around. Hmm. That Which was, is one of the things I really loved about it, you know. And that was that was the thing I was going to call out in response was, you know, it sounds like you're basically describing the trilogy arc where, you know, you have your your first mm-hmm. series, your and I know you're looking at it from more of a gameplay perspective, but even from a narrative perspective, it's like how do you approach the fourth title? Um and once again, Metal Gear is sort of an interesting situation in that case where you know, the the three wasn't particularly a conclusion to the trilogy, and and four sort of took that took on that mantle. Mm-hmm. Oh, correct. And and then it, it seemed like okay, well, actually, no. Peace Walker is going to kind of be a missing link, and then but five is going to be the true conclusion, right? So it's, it's if anything, it was almost like a like a dual trilogy in which like the sixth game, if you count, you know, grounds uh, ground zeros and Phantom Pain as the sixth iteration. But it's one thing that I always just like really uh, appreciate about the franchise, and I remember giving some people a hard time about how, at a distance, you and I don't mean anything to be like just disparaging towards this franchise. I really, really loved it, but at you know from 15, 20 feet away, you couldn't tell if you're playing Gears of War one, two, or three. You just couldn't. <laughs> the, you know the UI, the, the art style, the characters, like a lot of them were just really similar, right? I mean, there there was advancements, obviously. Yeah. But with with Metal Gear, you could tell in you know. In a, in a half second, right? Which game somebody was playing, and I always really admired that about about the team and how uh, willing they were to uh, to really deviate from the the previous iteration. I will say, uh, on the subject of disparaging things, um, <laughs> I have uh, kind of given that game a lot of grief over the years. Oh and my you god! Have been extremely you spent, patient. You spent like all day, all this past week, being like, "We're not going to talk about how I feel about Metal Gear Solid Four, guys." <laughs> and like ten minutes in, you're like, "Oh yeah." Look, uh, I just want to address the elephant in the room here because um, <laughs> I, I've actually wanted to talk to you again for a very long time. Uh, 
in large part due to how embarrassing that interview I did with you was back in what 2006, I think. Mm, if you yeah, even that remember that, right, 2006. yeah. I mean, I remember doing. Yeah, I remember doing the interview with you. I, I, I have I have pleasant and fond memories of it. It's, it's maybe you don't. But. <laughs> hey, we're, we're not going to ask any like hardcore questions or anything. Oh it's, shut! It's, up. I saw it for the first time today, and I love it. It's the best interview ever. It's cool. Uh, another question. Uh, I noticed that Vamp was nowhere to be seen. Will he be showing up in the next trailer? Oh, you're asking some hardcore questions, everybody. And this is for Mr. Kojima. I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably leave it to him. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, what can you tell us about the the recently announced Metal Gear film? Fingers. Yo, it's Apache Smash. Hey everyone, this is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. It's, it was, I was <laughs> this starstruck fanboy who very much elbowed his way in. Uh, and you were incredibly gracious and polite and patient. And I am asking these really embarrassing lore and plot questions <laughs> just look back well good for you oh i mean God, that's, I uh, there's nothing to be embarrassed about <laughs> as far as i'm concerned i mean you know you're so a fan thank of the you for franchise putting up with that i, I well, do look, really I, appreciate yeah. that you made me feel very welcome despite the fact that i technically wasn't invited this makes me think well, of like, all the times that i embarrass myself and like now i'm like you know what Looking at like Nitroid and Ryan right now, it wasn't that bad. This is this it's is not, probably it's, worse it's, in my memory than, that, than it than it actually yeah, is. Yeah, this, this nothing feels like more of a about. lesson on cringing in your past than it is about Metal Gear at all. Yeah, yeah, Ryan. Well, we'll, we'll that was a uh, that was you know, just wild. You might need to get some time, you know uh, never, maybe some professional help like that for this one. But yeah, I, I want to help uh, you in the sense that like, look, I. I'm probably I, I probably should be embarrassed about interviews that I did back when I was doing more journalism, uh, in which I would fanboy out about franchises that I was really into, and so I don't. But but I'm not going to because like what's the shame in it? Like I just loved I just love games and I love getting really hardcore about that. And if I have an opportunity to talk to somebody who works on the thing, are you kidding me? Of course I'm going to go and ask like the <laughs> all the burning questions. In fact, like as a fan, I'd be pissed if I if somebody was interviewing a creator and they're not asking those hard questions. So good for you, man. I, I appreciate that. That's right, though. You did. You like you worked for. I think was it Xbox Na- Xbox Nation and then uh, One Up. Was that it? Yeah, I was part of the Ziff Davis conglomerate, if you will. But yeah, One Up and EGM. I did stuff for Wired, uh, Japan Times. Oh, yeah, I, I kept myself very busy uh, on the on the journalism front for a number of years. Yeah, so you you already knew how to handle all that by the time you got to me. <laughs> oh, well, I, I'd like to think so, but uh, yeah, I, I think I thought I thought I thought. There's a there's a there's an aspect of working on on Metal Gear at the near the height of that franchise, working at Konami, in which it's it's hard not to get a chip on your shoulder uh, because you just have this constant reminders of how badass you are for working on that team. And so I you know if I if I had a little bit of an air of arrogance, uh, this probably uh, in large part uh, in, in that because. We, you know, we had special key cards that nobody else at Konami had. Uh, you know, we would have our special floor. People weren't allowed in the in the in the in the Metal Gear floor where they can go to any other floor if they Metal wanted Gear to. Floor. That's that yeah. is badass though. Oh, it's, it's it was like I said, it was hard not to just start getting like a big chip on your shoulder. 
I think a lot of uh, fans at the time, I mean, we were all pretty young back then as it was, but uh, yeah, we definitely had a chip on our shoulders too uh, in a large way. I think mainly because you you sort of represent the earliest, one of the earliest examples of a company sort of building a social media presence mm. where previously it was more, there, there was always this sort of disconnect between you had the company and then you had like the fans and there was really nothing in between. And then around right. the time that you came in, was when companies started to sort of experiment with, all right, well, let's let's have someone here who can sort of be a liaison to the to the fans out there and sort of manage that side of communication that that really hasn't been there before. You know, like that's where like MySpace was starting to come in, later Facebook, mm. Twitter, of course, but like there weren't a lot of examples of of people in sort of the position you were in at that time. I think you're right. And that, it's like, funny because look like I don't know. I mean, like, what were your thoughts sort of coming into that? I hope I hope you weren't too annoyed with with Metal Gear fans because we can uh, get a little heated. <laughs> well, Metal Gear fans are special, uh, and I and in both in all the good and, and bad ways, right? Just very passionate. Uh, they care. They care, which which is great. Um, what was interesting, and you know, I didn't know what I was getting into, was that the you could look back and say like, oh yeah, we started to have like a, a, a concerted effort to have a social media presence, but that really wasn't any kind of discussions we were having. It was just, hey, blogs are becoming more popular. Oh, there's these podcasts and, and Hideo was obviously really interested in that. And that's where it all started. You know, he would do his blog and then he asked me to do an English version of the blog uh, and then and then the podcast and he asked me to do an English version of his podcast which I think lasted for like one or two episodes. And then it just became kind of silly. It was like, I'm just kind of repeating back to what he, about what he said on the Japanese side. And, and that's where it started to become kind of like my own thing. But again, it wasn't any part of like a, like a, a larger initiative from the team. We just kind of, kind of fell into it. And, but before you knew it, uh, by the time I, I, I left the metal, like I think it was around the time of Metal Gear Solid 4's launch the podcast was getting a hundred thousand downloads every week. Jeez. Which is absurd. Yeah. So that was like a very small part of my job though, too. If I, you know, it was something that I had just, uh, I would literally do during nights and weekends. Uh, and, and then I had my full, you know, 60, 70 hour work week. And in, in addition to that, right. Cause you were in more of like a producer role anyway. So this was like sort of, you were, you were sort of incidentally ahead of the curve in regards to like, social media presence yeah i mean to give credit where credit's due it's it, i think it, again it was you know hideo and you know how he got into youtube and he's just you know he's, he's really into that kind of stuff and he's he's a lot more like you know public facing than a lot of other game creators and so i just kind of i don't want to say i followed his lead i was kind of dr drug along with him and it, 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 it but it worked because i had a history working in radio so I, I did enjoy it i don't want to come across like i i just did it unwillingly but it was i didn't spend much time thinking about it at all. Uh, I, it was work I want. I, I did. I wanted it to be good. I, I, I love that fans loved it. Uh, but I was all about making the game. And now it's funny. You think about it, like all these companies invest so much into their social media and building that relationship. Whereas you kind of like grew it organically, even from the tech going from radio to social media. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and, it's, it's, it's funny how like 
you know, I didn't really want to get into it necessarily. And, but what it ended up doing was more than any re other reason, it landed me that absurd job I got as creative director on Halo uh, because I was so visible. People knew who I was because uh, I was associated with uh, such a big title. And going, going back to what, what you all were talking about just a little bit earlier about how, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Air, Metal Gear fans were, you know, a little bit arrogant at a certain point in time. Part of the reason for that is because Metal Gear Solid 4 was one of the most important video games of that time. And, and so because that game was so popular and there's so much buzz around it and because I be like inadvertently became the face of it, at least to the, to the West, uh, it, it made it. So when I left, I got all these emails from recruiters and one of them was from Microsoft and I ended up skipping probably 10 years worth of experience going from more of a mid-level, sometimes high-level producer and some, some little bit of direction here and there to, creative director on Halo 4, which is, which was amazing at the time. I was so happy and excited. Right. And then, but then my, my lack of experience, I think caught up with me as I got deeper into my experience there at Microsoft. But you got your dream job regardless. And now you're kind of like, you're, you're doing your own thing now. You've got your own company, your own games. You're basically running the show. Well, now I have my dream job, uh, you know, working, working on, on Metal Gear was amazing. And, I'm so thankful for that experience. Same for Halo. I mean, I love both of those franchise franchises. Metal Gear Solid 3 is still my favorite favorite video game of all time. And I'm just so thankful for the experience. (laughs) It's the best, man. It's the best. Uh, But um, I think I've realized that I'm happiest when I'm afforded the ability to make a lot of mistakes and learn, you know, in my own kind of safe area and not have to, you know, uh, worry about uh, higher ups, uh, who are constantly disappointed with me. Uh, I get to work with my, my <laughs> peers who are constantly disappointed with me as we continue to grow. But it's been an amazing experience. We just hit 10 years uh, of Camouflage's existence uh, just recently. And it's Congrats, just it's been so fun to, oh, thank you. And it's been so fun to look back at like, wait, wow. I had no idea what we were doing when we started. I have a little bit better of idea of what we're doing right now. I'm so excited about what we're building. We've got about 80, 85 people now. We're building a really, really big game. And uh, yeah, things are just going really great. So I, uh, yeah, this is right now I'm, I'm, I'm living, li- living my dream job. That's such a huge accomplishment too. Cause from everything I've heard from people who have started game development studios, it's much like starting a restaurant where the first couple years can make or break you. But once mm-hmm. you start getting over that hump, you can, you can sustain it in 10 years. That's a huge milestone. Yeah. I never thought we would get to 10 years. There was so, there was at least nine times in which I remember thinking, I don't know if we're going to be around next week. Uh, over the Jeez. last 10 years. And, yeah. and, but now we don't have that anymore. We've got, got money in the bank, you know, got a solid team, good, good project. I don't, yeah, it was only, it wasn't until maybe a year and a half ago or so, two years ago, maybe that I didn't have that constant fear of having to shut, shut the doors. And that that's eight years of that, man. That's not fun. Just grueling work basically. It is. It's you know you're just always on the razor razor's edge. You're always worried about hitting payroll, uh, and, and and a big reason for that is because Republic, which just wasn't the hit that it needed it to be. It uh, we've ne- we still have not made the money back that we spent on that game, uh, but through a lot of hard work and uh, just tenacity and grit and luck, and we were able to to kind of crawl our way out of that and have a second shot, which was the Marvel's Iron Man VR title that we shipped last year. 
and uh, and now we've got a, a new title that uh, you know is even got bigger, bigger and bigger scale and, and greater ambitions. So yeah, we're, we're like I said, we're very lucky to be where we're at right now. I wanted to ask you actually. I know I know I said that wasn't wasn't going to be an interview, but I'm realizing as I'm talking to you and hearing this, I'm like, oh my god, I've got so many questions. <laughs> so I, just yeah, I mean, yeah, go for it. I mean, if, especially if it's on. related to um, Metal Gear Solid Four and your disdain for it. It. <laughs> uh, oh God! Everybody's calling out Nitro. Strangely, strangely, that is um. You know what? I I will ask you something about that uh, in a minute when I figure out how to formulate that question better. <laughs> sure. Um, because the, what I wanted to ask you about was Kowloon Knights mm. and everything going on there, and um. Because I've seen a lot of these uh, indie game platforms spring up where they're trying to find new creators and new ideas and get them off the ground. Uh, but, but I don't know much about it. And I was just, I saw that you're, you're one of the advisors on that, correct? Correct, yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the high level and if you have any yeah. follow-up questions, more than happy to answer them. So I guess to start off, I'm, I'm less involved with Kalu Knights and also a related fund called Makers Fund. I'm, I'm less involved these days than I was in the past. And it's part of an effort for me just to, because I now have the ability to focus on, on this, on the single title that we have right now at, at Camouflage. Like I, I feel like that's the best use of my time, despite the fact that I really love the work that I was doing on Kalu Knights and at Makers Fund. So basically what these things are is they, these are two funds. Uh, Makers Fund is a, is an equity based fund in which, uh, the, the fund raises money through large companies and individuals who have money that they want to invest in this fund. And then that, then that, that money is then distri uh, distributed via people like myself as part of like the, like the leaders of the fund towards mainly video game related companies that we feel like have like a bright future. They need some money to kind of get their company up and running or get their tech up and running. And so I, dozens and dozens and dozens of, co of companies have received funding from Makers Fund. But that's like the, the company is like we're in exchange for shares of the company. We're putting money into those companies to help them grow. The on Kalu Knights is a little bit different. It's more project based. So uh, that I think there's I don't know how many now. It's maybe 50 games now I've, I've received funding. So it's it's project focused. It's we put money into a game. And, uh, and that includes games like Godfall, which is a, which was a launch title for PlayStation 5. Uh, it includes Scorn, which is coming out next to October uh, through, uh, I think it's, it's, it's launching initially on PC and, and Xbox. And, and Sifu, which is coming out, I think, in January, February, which is a really big anticipated title for PlayStation 5. And so many other games. And so, yeah, it's just been, it was really fun working with Alexi and Samuel and Lindsay and that whole group over there. Uh, because what we would do, and, the, and they're doing this still, but I'm, I, I backed away from it just because of time commitments. But every week we would review five to six games that were coming through, indie titles and, and larger titles. And then we would just decide as a group whether or not we believe that we should be putting money towards their budget to help them get to the finish line. And so I was just playing so much stuff over the weekend and, and learning and, and interacting with so many different teams. It was really, really fun. But at the end of the day, I had a real, I just had to kind of had I just was running out of time and I was doing so many other things that I decided to, to ramp that down and again to focus on uh, on the on the title, the big title that we have right now at Camouflage. I gotcha. I guess my, my big question then was how is something like Kowloon Knights distinct from a publisher? Yeah, so the because they don't publish the game. So basically once we 
like for example, we'll go to we'll go to a company like Ebs uh, Ebs Software, which is based in uh, in Serbia, and I actually went and visited the team there, and they're making like this game called Scorn, as I mentioned. It's an HR Giger type of inspired horror first person game. It's terrifying. It's beautiful. It's amazing what this team is doing. Uh, and so we would meet with them. We would check the build. We would you know we help them. We, we would give them money for their milestones, and we fund. Or, uh, Kowloon is, be- is behind a lot of the funding of that title. But that's the extent of it. Then the team has the independence. They have the, the freedom to then go take that game. They can go publish it themselves if they want. Or they can go to Microsoft and see if Microsoft wants to publish the game or Private Division or Take-Two or EA or whoever they want to go to. They can go get a traditional publisher. But Kowloon Knights is really only on the hook to provide money. They're not, they're not providing marketing or distribution or PR support for the game. So. I understand. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. Then I guess like last question to sort of lead back into what you're doing and 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 we'll get, we'll get to to MGS4 mm-hmm. um, is uh, just you personally uh, not just in regards to Kowloon Knights but as someone who now runs their own video game studio what what is it that stands out to you in terms of like a unique idea or or a creative game something that that makes you go okay this is something I want to chase down. Uh, in terms of like where we want to take our company and what we're we're being inspired by, well, yeah, I mean, I assume it's it's you know a different contexts, but you know, with Kowloon Knights, you would be looking at at these projects that other people make. But as someone, you know, as 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 the owner of a game company, I I would imagine that you know if it's not a contract job where you're working with uh, an existing IP or something along those lines, you've got to come up with ideas of your own. To, to pursue right. like uh, you know camouflage was was your original idea so like what is it that makes you how do you know that moment when you're like okay this is the one this is what we're going to go for well it's, it's i'm going to flip it around because i used to have that that ability back on republic because it was a small title it was i was funding it by myself it was all my it was my liquidated 401k from Microsoft, oh, which my God. I, I was hit with a 50% tax penalty. It was yep. my life savings. Oof. It was God, money from man. my parents. Uh, and it was eventually the Kickstarter money. But there was nobody telling me what I, we could and could not make, right? So that was a game that I really wanted to make. And it was started off as basically a more of a narrative-driven game that was inspired by what would happen if we made a game that was based, basically like you're doing FaceTime with, with our hero, Hope. And it was more choose and adventure. It was more narrative driven, but not kind of isometric, no stealth action. And that only came in later uh, throughout the development through feedback that we received from Bungie of all places about you know pushing us more towards making it like almost like a Metal Gear inspired title, which uh, is, is funny and how that all kind of worked out. But the, to answer your question though, like that was what I that was a story I want to tell. It had lots like too many ideas in there, lots of creative you know activity going on there with me and the team. But from that point on, as our as because again that game wasn't a, a commercial success, we the the value that Camouflage can bring to a publisher, for example, is that we can create a game for them, like Marvel's Iron Man VR. But it wasn't necessarily like, hey, I woke up one morning and said, hey, uh, Sony, Marvel, let's do this thing together uh, because I've got this great idea. It was more of an opportunity that that, that was uh, that they brought to us. And same with our with our current title, it's a. Uh, uh, some some outside forces like saw what camouflage is doing they played iron man they said hey you guys are really really good at this stuff 
how about you do this game with us and we'll, we'll fund it. And that's kind of where we're at as well. So it's not to say that we don't have creative input and I have plenty of ideas and plenty of things that we're doing that's really unique to this title. Um, but it's not something from the ground up that, uh, you know, that I pitched and proposed necessarily. Is it also something where as you're working on this new project, you can have other things that you're experimenting with sort of in parallel as well? Or is it like we've got to have all hands all on this one project? There's always that pull of wanting to kind of dink around with something else. Uh, I, I have like, yeah, I have plenty of game ideas that I want to execute on at a certain point. But the more the more I learn about the greats, the absolute greats in the game industry and outside of it and other industries as well. It's, it's one thing I think that they, many of them have not all, not everybody, but many of them share is that ability to focus. And that's why I'm not doing work with Kowloon anymore. That's why I'm not doing multiple games at the same time. Uh, I'm just really trying to focus in on this one game and put all of my creative energy into it to make it the best thing possible. Cause at the end of the day, like that's ultimately what I want to do. And that's what my peers at camouflage want to do is we want to make the best games possible. So the more, the more we like distract ourselves or spread ourselves thin, um, the less, uh, the, we, we, the less likely we're going to be able to execute on something really terrific. Right. There was, um, that, I guess that's kind of a, 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 a change from, Kojima Productions, where you were sort of wearing a lot of hats and you had your hands. I remember you telling me uh, ages ago that uh, Lunar Nights was sort of the first game you got to add creative input to. Um, but you were you were sort of yeah. all over the place because there were. God, I'm trying to remember what was all coming out at that exact same time. But there was there was oh, Lunar it was Nights. There was, yeah, there was uh, Portable Ops. There was Metal Gear Solid Four. I think there was even a, a fourth one. It might have been like Bondesine or something like that. I can't. I can't even remember now. Yeah, at one point, I don't think they all overlapped, but within like a year, I think I was working and being fairly involved with Metal Gear Solid Four, Metal Gear Solid Three Subsistence. Oh, that's uh, right. Metal Gear Acid Two. Metal Gear Acid Two. Uh, yes, uh, Lunar Nights. Uh, the the digital graphic novel for Metal Gear Solid 1, and then eventually 2. And then there was all this other stuff they were doing in addition to that that were not necessarily game-related, but other initiatives like Metal Gear Saga, and there was a 20th anniversary celebration, and all this other stuff we were doing. And I'm probably forgetting other things, but yeah, then eventually there's Portable Ops, there's Portable Ops Plus. And there was so much activity going on. And yeah, I was getting pulled into all those things, absolutely. It's so ironic that they like pulled you and they're like, we need to do 20th anniversary stuff. They didn't tweet about the 20th anniversary for the NA release of MGS2, and I'm still <laughs> feeling it. <laughs> it is. It is. It's kind just of hard we, to it's weird over there, obviously. Yeah, it's it yeah. is. It's strange. Yeah, it seems like there there's something going on there. Maybe they're trying to just find their footing after how big of a shakeup that was. But it's hard to tell without really being inside of that. You know, it's, yeah, it's easy to sort of really knows. Yeah, and I guess this sort of leads into my MGS4 question because it's very easy to look at something like uh, a game development company or the production cycle of a game from the outside and make criticisms and be like, well, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they think of this? Like, um, But it's, it's, it's so much more complicated and labyrinthian to actually make a game than how it seems on the outside like we talk a lot about how game uh you know people who are fans of games often romanticize game development and 
if you haven't had the experience of working in game development or even software development, it can it can probably seem a lot more simple than it actually is. Mm-hmm. So it's, so is that that's well, your setup for something yeah. related to what you don't like about MGS four? <laughs> well, I mean, I could go. We've. <laughs> trying to be really nice about this no it's okay i kind of knew this was coming it's so Um, easy right (laughs) it's so easy yeah they've been they've been laughing about this for a while so um, so ryan ryan why don't we just do this why don't you just tell me every single thing you don't like about that game let's just air it out because ryan what other opportunity we're gonna have we do have a whole episode dedicated to okay ryan versus ryan (laughs) it's well you know at this point it is it's what the fans want. <laughs> I've got it, right? I will say this: MGS2 two Ryan's enter, one Ryan leaves. Why isn't MGS Four the best? Why isn't MGS Four your favorite? So, <laughs> I will say this: uh, <laughs> there was a time when I was very, very—I uh, don't want to use the word angry—but I, I was very much against that game, um, and it just sort of had to do with the expectations that I had versus what I later found out I liked about the series. Um, and you know, it's, it's something where as, as, as an adult, I really enjoy fiction that doesn't give you all the answers. Um, I really, I really like, uh, stories that necessarily don't have clean cut conclusions where every single little thread is tied Mm -hmm. in a perfect knot. And, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, when 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 I sort of finished MGS four and was like, OK, I, why didn't I like that? I had to start asking myself, like, why didn't I like that? Uh, it was where I sort of started to really figure out what my tastes were um, and, and what kind of things I appreciated in fiction and media. Um, but now it's sort of a thing where me disliking MGS four has turned into a, a kind of a bit, you know, um, <laughs> right. So there, there, there is an element of like keeping up appearances there where, you know, like say the thing, Bart. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. But, you know, it, it is interesting to look at because, you know, you have people now who look at Metal Gear Solid 2 and they and I mean, God, everybody's been writing about it recently. It feels mm-hmm. like how it predicted this and that. And it saw, you know, mm-hmm. everything about our current world coming to pass this far, you know, this this long ago. Everybody thinks it's brilliant today, but when the game came out, that wasn't the case. Uh, it, you know, it was reviewed well um, and it sold very well. But on the ground right. floor, a lot of people were were very put off by that game, whether it was because of Raiden or because of how convoluted they felt the story was or how preachy they thought the ending was. You know, this this attitude of MGS2 is brilliant uh, is is very recent. Um. And so uh, it's it's just kind of a thing now where, uh, God, I kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> is that Shoot. no? I can help you with there. So is yeah. that you are predicting that Metal Gear Solid Four is going to have a similar renaissance? I've uh, when wondered. People realize that because well, you know the game you did. There's a lot of parallels with two, right? Because it sold, it sold, it reviewed very well, sold very well, and then there was a little, there was a backlash, right? And then over time, I think people start to appreciate it a little more, and that's that's at least what I'm observing. Um, yeah, and I have noticed that it's it's a thing where Metal Gear Solid Four felt sort of like an antithesis to Metal Gear Solid Two, where it sort of looked at that game and said, "All right, well, you you don't like not having answers, you don't like playing a snake again. Well, we're going to give <laughs> yeah. you exactly what you want." 
Right. And and there was this sort of uh, under it felt and you can you can tell me somebody who worked on the game, you know, everyone's had an interpretation about what that game meant, what was the idea behind it. Um, And, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, you're not necessarily trying to make this postmodern piece of artwork. You're trying to make uh, an interesting game with an interesting story that people are going to enjoy. But that layer still seems like it's there and it's very unique to to Metal Gear. And it, it, it on many levels sort of seemed like MGS4 was saying, hey, Metal Gear has kind of run its course. And in a lot of ways, it's this walking corpse. And um, it's 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 sort of out of its own time, sort of like Old Snake was. But we've got a responsibility to sort of close this out. So we're going to follow through with that like that. That sort of seems what it was going for. Is that sort of what? it was going for or like are all these interpretations that people have had sort of like kind of off the wall and, and, and just not at all applicable. I'm going to try my best to answer that. It's a really difficult question. Yeah. Uh, that's, I know I kind of went no, all over the place there. So no, 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 because it's, it's because the game It's not, there's nothing wrong with the question. It's, it's that the game in and of itself is a lot of things. And I think that's one of the, one of its weaknesses is that it wasn't driven by a single pillar or four pillars or five pillars. It had like 10 things going on, 10 big things going on. Uh, you know, Hideo was feeling, and I think quite genuinely that he didn't want to work on any more Metal Gear games and he wanted to close it out. He, yeah, like you said, he wanted to tie up a lot of the loose ends. Uh, it was, it was a really important title for Konami and arguably even more important for Sony. And for PlayStation. And so it needed to be like this big system seller and this massive showcase for the PlayStation 3. It was a game that where the team, I think, was at their height in terms of talent. And so he could push for lots of different things like, hey, we're going to have a full FPS mode. I mean, it's ridiculous, like the amount of like scope that went into that game. Um, it was that plus so like, yeah, then the, the political angles of it. Um, all the different kind of globe trotting aspects of it, which is which was brand new for the franchise as well. You know, typically those the games were set in like one location, right? But we wanted to do this kind of James Bond, hey, kind of crossing the globe with all these different biomes, which was a big challenge for the team, and that was something that they wanted to do. Plus embedded podcasts and all this other ancillary stuff. There's just so much going on that, it, and it was such a massive project that it's really hard to pinpoint like what was that really that really game all about other than it kind of is all about so many different things you know ironically i think i know how to sum up my question uh way more succinctly so just to sort of get to the heart of of what it is i've been wondering for a long time was mm-hmm. any part of that game uh story mechanical or otherwise made cynically do you have any specific examples? Because there, there might be. Um, let me try and think of one off the top of my head. Um, it's, it's such a it's such a, a nuanced subject, and usually I'm really quick on the draw with this stuff. While you're thinking, can I can I can I think of one? Like, yeah, I yeah, I have one please. in my head, but I don't know. Nitroid, please correct me if I think this is if you think this is like a bad. You got the guy who worked talking. on it here, and you're asking me to correct you. No, 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 no. I'm not like, I want to make sure I'm getting your point across because this is very important to you. Okay. But I think one example I'm thinking of is almost sort of the, the torture Raiden went through to become the cyborg ninja he is from a narrative perspective. It's, it's a bit cynical in that, 
okay, in MGS2, we left Raiden to, you know, be his own person after, you know, and un- try to understand the events that he's experienced in MGS2. Then we get to four and it's like, oh, well, you guys didn't think he's cool. So f- as fate would have it, you know, we're going to make him cool. But at what cost? Nitro yeah, like said, uh, like, he's like, yeah, I'll become Gray Fox instead. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's yeah, a lot I of truth to that. Example. Absolutely. That's a great example. And and yeah, I mean, that was I remember the. I remember the morning that I saw the concept art for Raiden for Metal Gear Solid 4. It was a Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And Hideo wasn't always in the office on the weekends, but he was there that weekend. And Shinkawa was there that weekend. Uh, and and Hideo pulled me into his office, like, hey, you want to see what Raiden looks like in 4? I was like, sure. And he's like, we're going to make him really cool. And he's we're going to put him through hell. And, uh, and I said, that's awesome. Like, yeah, now I'm, now I'm all excited about having Raiden in the story. And he's like, good, because that's, that's what we want. Yeah, so that was that was definitely part of the the, the intent behind there. So yeah, the, if, it, and I think it's fair to say that maybe it's cynical or kind of poking at the player, uh, which you know Hideo has a history of doing, and he has fun with that. Um, but there's also, as you, you know, there's a lot of sentimental bits of the game, like like the Sunny character and so many other things. Um, I think uh, you know Otacon's arc is, is another example of that. Johnny's arc is another example of that. So yeah, there's definitely a, it's it's just I mean back to my main point. There's just so much going on in that game. Yeah. Completely unrelated. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. That's fine. I was just going to say completely unrelated note, but one of my girlfriends was, there's a part in Endwalker, Final Fantasy 14 Endwalker, (laughs) that looks like some shit out of Metal Gear Solid 4. And anybody who's like at like, it's like the first solo duty. <laughs> Anyways, I said I tweeted that one of my girlfriends was like, "Yeah, this 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 game is a lot like MGS4 in certain ways." And I'm like, "What do you mean really? by that?" Yeah. Interesting. I wish I was playing. I wish I had time. It's it's if I had time, that would be the, that would be what I'd be playing right now. Well, I mean, it seems like they don't want more people on their server, so No, they, exactly. <laughs> What an incredible, what an, that's a whole other subject, but what an incredible game. What an incredible tur- turnaround for that franchise. Right. What an incredible I, I comeback. The comeback story of the decade yeah. right there. It's insane. It's amazing. Can anyone think of another example where a company had to say, you're not allowed to play our game because there's too many people playing it? Like literally with a, putting out a piece of like news that says, we are not selling this game anymore. <laughs> like, it's, it's unheard not, of. Not off the top of my head. That's a great question. I can't uh, think of it. Yeah. It's funny because there's such an there's such an evangelical aspect to the fan base that just turned on its head. Not that they're like not not nice in this situation, but it turned on its head like we're full, everybody go home. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've ever uh, met a mean exactly. 14 We player. also have Final Fantasy XI over here, just in case. Yeah, they, they did a promotion for XI. <laughs> uh, but now yeah, that I've seen guys, give our servers a break. Okay, so let's go back to why Ryan hates yeah. Metal Gear Solid 4. <laughs> I did ask for this. Um, yeah, you know, it's the thing I'm realizing now, uh, as I think about it more and as I consider some of the things I've said uh I'm wondering if maybe I romanticize Metal Gear a little too much. You know, it's as somebody who looks at it from the outside and tries to figure out, okay, I'm going to I'm going to look at the story and I'm going to try to dissect the intent behind this uh, that maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. I mean, I I know that that um, Mr. Kojima spends a lot of time writing his stories, uh, you know, with he said 
before that, like when it comes to the primary narrative, he'll sit down, he'll write the whole thing out uh, himself. And then obviously, you know, other people come in and do supplemental writing. Uh, but I mean, these sort of meta narrative aspects, I mean, how how at the forefront of the process of making these games uh, is that? Such so as like you know the, the high level arc of the characters of the major yeah. themes is that what you're yeah yeah sort of and I mean like like uh, I you know MGS four sort of you could say is about Metal Gear itself as a franchise for example like would that be would that be fair it it is and it's also like I said though it was at the, even at the beginning it was about so many things it was about what was going on in the world it was about the Iraq War it was about the private military companies it was about like he you know, he has never told me this directly, so this is just this is just speculation. But I think a lot of it was about himself. You know, it's he's tired. He's tired of working on Metal Gear. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, kind of autobiographical elements of what he does with with the Snake character, uh, and and so like yeah, I think I remember seeing early drafts of like the beats of the story and. The way he kind of he works is he'll work in he'll work in really broad strokes, but he'll also work in extremely detailed things. Uh, you know, one thing I think I can reveal that's not that big of a deal is that <laughs> in one of the earlier trailers we had, it had all this kind of high level direction, but it also had very like very specific things, such as the temperature in the Middle East on this day that we're setting you know the scene in is the same temperature that Tokyo Game Show last year was on this day. Oh my god! <laughs> and he likes to infuse, like you know, those kinds of like you know bits of what the team experience, what he experienced, and like, kind of infuse that into the game. So yeah, you can get really granular, and you can get really, and you can get really very high level. But there was, like I said, though, so much going on. It's like I want to close out this game. I want uh, it to be a, a fair final send off for the fans. I want to poke at the fans a little bit uh, and and do all these other things. So it, it, look, I, I think at the end of the day, I think if if I understand. I can understand why you, you don't like the game because I think the game has it's it wears like a lot of its its weaknesses are are, are fairly visible. It, it's it's lacking in the gameplay side of things. It's it's very top heavy when it comes to cinematics versus gameplay. Right? You want a lot more gameplay. You want deeper mechanics, deeper systems, more more ability, more more opportunities to play the game. Right? Uh, there's there's really obvious uh, attempts at closing out uh, narrative threads that are really difficult to close out. And I think the team did the best job, but some of them are good and some of them are, are not so good. And, and then I look and that's why one of the things I think why reason, sorry to move away from MGS4 for a second, no, but it's one of the things I think is such a, an, such a turnaround for the franchise is, is, is five. It's, we went, the team went from a, a game that was story and set piece first for example, you take Act Two when you're running through uh, Peru or South America, and you're on top of uh, the the I forgot the name of that unit that uh, and you have like it's kind of like a rail shooter where you're shooting the gecko right and and like other yeah. kind of the zombie like uh, PMCs right. Uh, you have like set pieces like that, which is a lot of what MGS4 is, and then you can turn around and you have a very hardcore, deep systems-driven game like MGS5. And it's such an incredible turnaround. And I think what I guess to bring it back to four is that they, I think Hideo was is very aware of the shortcomings of the previous title, and sometimes he maybe overcorrects when he when he goes and makes the sequel. 
And so I think, yeah, you, you know, this, the, yeah, the, 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 the people love the cinematics of MGS one. So, okay, here's a ton more beautiful cinematics, MGS two. Oh, wait, 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 too much story, not enough gameplay. Okay. Three's got a nice balance. And then, but people love the cinematics and the story of three. So here's more in four, right? Oh, you guys don't like all the, the gameplay, like the, the lack of gameplay in four. Okay. We're going to go way overboard. And like, it's a very systems driven where the story takes a huge backseat in five, in my opinion. Uh, and you got a very systems driven game. So yeah, it, it's just, it's just, it's fascinating to look, look at it from that perspective. So if you like zoom out of the whole franchise and say, look, I don't like the one game that has the most cinematics, the less amount of like the least amount of gameplay and those systems aren't very deep. I think that's a completely fair criticism of four. It's you see, now you got me wondering if I'm being too hard on it. <laughs> no, because, it's like, if it's not the one you like, like it's yeah, the, the pie no, chart of gameplay versus cinematics is not very good. Right. That wasn't it's, even, it's very, it's very hardcore on or It's very heavy on cinematics. Right. Yeah. But this, the, the amount of cinematics are something that I never really had an issue with. It was, um, how about this? It, it's the more I think about it and the more I've heard you explain it, it does seem like creating a game like MGS4, especially with as many expectations as there were, is sort of a Sisyphean task. Um, I mean, the the amount of hype around that game at the time was just unbelievable. You know, it was it was it was almost in a lot of ways a repeat of what happened with Metal Gear Solid 2, where they have this new platform mm-hmm. and uh there is this game that unquestionably blows everything else out of the water that's being shown at the time to the point right. that PC developers were looking at this and going, how the hell did he do that? Right. right? And, and, and MGS four was sort of a repeat of that in a lot of ways. You had this, you know, the PlayStation three, which at the time was, you know, kind of being touted as like the world's most, like the most powerful game system ever made. You can do anything with it. You know, mm. you'll do your homework. Um, and then you've got that first trailer, which just looks phenomenal. I mean, the ex- the expectations you guys must have been under the pressure. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was it was absurd. It was it was exciting. Uh, and that trailer that you're talking about, Ryan, that first real trailer, the one where, yeah. you know, you, you meet the, the, the Otacon or the uh, MK2. Yeah, it's very like the Black Hawk Down-ish. <laughs> very Black Hawk Down. In fact, there was you know, people in the, in the, in the studio had Black Hawk Down on, on DVD on repeat, just to kind of study, you know, oh, the, man. the tone, um, that really Scott went for. And it was, it was really cool. It was very intentional. And then a lot of other, like, um, Lord of War was another film that we looked at a lot. Oh, that's um, such a good one. I love that film. Yeah, it's, it is. It, and, uh, you know, Guns of ne- Navarone, obviously, but, uh, the, yeah, the expectations were really high. So with that first trailer, uh, it wasn't it wasn't pure PS5 or sorry PS3, uh, where we knew we understood every single thing about that hardware. We were making a lot of guesses because we and you know the gameplay wasn't really to the point of showing at that point. It was very far off. So we were, the team was making a lot of assumptions about what they were going to be able to pull off for the final game. And I and I, I remember seeing comparison videos of like what the final game looked like versus what that first trailer looked like. And to be fair, the game never hit the the heights that 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 first trailer did, but it got pretty darn close. And that was the effort. That was that was the result of years of, of the team working so hard to try to hit, try to like hit that bar that they that really high bar that they set. And and it's an it's an incredible accomplishment. And yeah, the the amount of stress and expectations was really was really high. But I mean, that's why I wanted to be there, and I think that's why a lot of people wanted to be there. Like, sure, you could you could go to a different floor in Konami. And again, I don't mean to disparage any other teams over there, but. 
the, you know, it was, oftentimes it was lights out at six o'clock, seven o'clock. Um, and you didn't have to come in on weekends, right? But then in, in exchange, you know, the game, the games that you're working on weren't necessarily the games that people are dying for interviews for. They're on the front cover of these magazines that people are lining up outside of Best Buy at midnight to go buy, right? And so that was why we would sometimes get people from other Konami teams and they would say, hey, I want, I, I want to join Kojima Productions. I want to be here because I want that. I want, I'm okay with hard work and I want, I want to do something great. And, and I loved working with guys like that because, you know, I, I shared a lot of the same values that they did. And yeah, you guys were pretty much the dream team at the time. It's, it's, we were, man. yeah, it's, it's crazy thinking back at just how much you guys were accomplishing. And I, I feel bad for all of the crap we gave you back in the day. <laughs> I really do. Uh, you didn't deserve oh, it. Oh, well, don't, don't, I don't, look, I don't, I don't even know. There was, I only got one really nasty tweet over the last 10 years since like MGS. Uh, for shift, I guess in 2008. Uh, and I don't, it was for me. I don't have a. <laughs> no, it wasn't from you. Kidding, it wasn't. It was from some guy that was very <laughs> upset with me um, over the story for MGS4. I just had to remind him in the nicest way possible. I didn't write the story for MGS4 there, buddy. <laughs> I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry of how much I offended you. Uh, so yeah, there's no, no no need to apologize, and I'm I'm really proud of the game. I. Like I said, Metal Gear Solid 3 is, is my favorite, so uh, 4 is not my favorite Metal Gear game, but I'm, I think it's an accomplishment in so many ways, uh, and I, uh, I desperately want that game to come back in some form. Uh, and I think it's going to be, I, I think it, for the most part, I think it's going to be celebrated, despite its like, very obvious flaws. I would love to see it come back. Uh, despite everything I've said, I would love to, ha- to see a re-release of that game. Uh, just, just even... I, I would love to play that game again on on modern hardware, you know, in a remaster. Right. Uh, I think that would be that would be crazy to experience. Um, but even just from a game preservation standpoint, which is something yep, I care a lot exactly. about, I want to I want to see these things stand the test of time. And and right now, with everything going digital, it's just getting harder and harder to to do that. Um, it's you know, anytime a game gets a physical release, that's immediately where I go to. Uh, I you know I try mm-hmm. to avoid digi- digital digital purchases are so convenient and and i'll still pick them up at you know from time to time but if a game's got a physical release i'm, I'm usually going to go for that just so i i've got it you know and I'm, i never have to worry about it going anywhere unless you know you know 50 years from now disc rot sets in or something yeah, like that. yeah exactly but, you got that that other problem but yeah I know, like yeah, good for you and I, I i i try to do the same as well uh because i'm always anticipating skynet you know taking over <laughs> and then going down <laughs> And, and then we never have access to the, all these, like, you know, all these works that are just purely digital. So, um, you know, the irony of, though, of it all, of it all of like oftentimes you have to put these discs in now to get updates and, and get the real version of the game, but that's a whole other subject. But yeah, like you, I, I'm a big game preservation person. I really want Metal Gear Solid 4 to be on modern platforms with, with like a proper uh, physical release. Uh, and, and heck, I, I want to see portable ops and Acid 1 and 2 on some sort of like Metal Gear Solid portable collection. Um, that's released on modern consoles as well. I said this thing, there's a lot of things to celebrate for the, from those titles as well. I got to tell you, man, I think so many people are sleeping on Metal Gear Acid. Those games are so much fun, especially that second one. My God, it, it kills me that more people don't appreciate those. I was going to say the same thing, but about Paul Blops. Thank you. Like, I, th- I think people strongly sleep on Paul Blops. I think it's a really good game. And what you were saying about... Metal Gear Solid 3 being your uh, favorite in the series, Mm. I think it's the pinnacle of arcade stealth gameplay and one 
yep. to two, two expanded on one in a big way. I think three expanded on two in a big way in terms of just gameplay and arcade stealth. Yep. The progression of that was portable ops, and it went to obviously a portable console. Um, I feel like a re re-release of portable ops with um, an updated control style um, could be yes. a, a serious hit. It's such a good game. It is absolutely well, insane you. that you guys were able to fit uh, what you did on into a PSP with portable ops. Not only that, but to do that in 14 months from start to finish. Wow. Oof. Jeez. I still can't believe it when I say that, that we did that in 14 months. And by we, I mean, like, mostly the team that I was working with. Although, as I think you guys know my history, that was the game I started to, That was the game I got really involved with, way more than actually than Lunar Nights. It was Portable Ops, which really put me on the map, and I got much more involved in, in, in real game development. And then, uh, yeah. And subsequently with 4, and then for the, then the rest is history. But, yeah, like, Portable Ops, that team, 14 months from start to finish. You know, granted, they were building off the Metal Gear Solid 3's subsistence engine, which was ported to PSP. So they had a baseline and they had assets that they could borrow from it. But it's just still, it's just amazing what they were able to do. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those crazy, hey, we've got to fit this enormous thing into small space sort of things. Not in terms of compression necessarily, but just, it's it's just unbelievably impressive that you can play a game like that on the PSP. Um, it it kind of reminds me of how the the that one development team fit all of Resident Evil 2 onto a Nintendo 64 cartridge. <laughs> yeah, it was like, uh, it's Angel Fire or something. I yeah. think they ended up becoming Rockstar, uh, Rockstar, um, whatever, yeah. San Diego or whatever. But, yeah, um, that sort of work. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a similar type of thing, yeah, where it's like a lot of technical uh, trickery going on. But just, even just the, the content. Uh, now, the, granted, the game was built very smart. It had, it had the Metal Gear Solid 3 engine, which they're using, so they're not starting from scratch with the engine. Granted, they had to build the game to work with the with the lack of like a dual analog dual analog sticks. Which, by the way, you know the first you know Metal Gear Solid Three did ship with like without necessarily uh, you know the uh, you know like a full three D camera and everything like that. They you don't need it. it sucks right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you and then and then very smart to to call up uh, Ashley Wood and then a production company in Japan called Spooky, which created those those animatics right, which then made it so the team didn't have to work on the cinematics. They didn't have to worry about the cinematics. They're just working on the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay. But even still, with like all the boss battles and everything, it's really impressive what the, the team was building. Built not only in a single-player game, but they built you know, a multiplayer component too, which people don't really talk about. But you know, it had PvP, which is incredible. I mean, yeah, that's Portable Ops is, is the true MGO2. I used to play the hell out of that. Oh, shit, you're going to mm -hmm. piss some people off with that comment. Not going <laughs> to lie. Sorry, continue. <laughs> I'm, all, look, all I'm saying is move the number down one. That's all. <laughs> no, it was it was the second release of like a of a Metal Gear Online. That's that's for sure. Yeah, and it's just um, the the choice to use uh, drawn animatics like that instead of pre rendered cutscenes. It it doesn't feel out of place. It's it's it like it it adds to that experience. It that stylized look um, feels like you're getting something really unique. So the the the, the and, yeah. you know the normal three D cutscenes aren't missed at all. Yeah, and, and Yoji Shinkawa uh, is a huge fan of Ashley Wood, so it was really fun uh, to work with 
to work with those with those guys because mainly you know Yoji was just there, just like looking at the the art. He didn't have much feedback. He was just like always, oh, just like so into it and so excited every single time Ashley would deliver his next round of of, of cells. And yeah, such a just such a fun project. And that team was really young, really tenacious, super hardworking team. And uh, and then they eventually, and, if, and I think for good reason, got absorbed in the Metal Gear Solid Four team once they shipped Portable Ops. So that was the the end for the most part. There was Portable Ops Plus, but that was basically the end of the of the PSP um, development until obviously, I mean, the whole team like went from Metal Gear, uh, Metal Gear Solid Four and PlayStation Three to all of a sudden going back to PSP, which is in, in and of itself a very interesting um, uh, move for the company for with Peace Walker. But that was around the time that I was leaving. Do you have any oh, thoughts? Oh, so that, yeah, you were... Go ahead, sorry. Do you have any thoughts on why Metal Gear has a monopoly on this style of gameplay and no other company... Not only has no one ever successfully ripped it off, but no one's really tried. In terms of, like, the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay of Metal Gear? Yeah, so, like, you know, so I'd say Solid 1 to 3, Portable Ops included. No one can make a game that even looks like that or plays like that. So there was there are, there have been attempts, and I think it's funny because like I think Hideo at some point in time would kind of like wink and nod at them. Like for example, Siphon Filter, and then Splinter Cell in particular. Uh, I actually I have a different perspective, if that's okay. Which is that I I feel like obviously Metal Gear is very unique and, and for a variety of different reasons. But I will play. I remember playing uh, and being really upset when I played Arkham Asylum back in two thousand nine because. I thought that they took a lot of the elements of Metal Gear Solid 4, not in a bad way. Like I'm not, I wasn't upset because they, I think they might've borrowed some elements, but I was upset at myself for like how elegantly they were able to take some pretty complex movements and simplify them in, in that game. And so when I'm, when I'm, you know, going across like a cable and I'm stealthing around, I'm going to cover, I'm going out in enough cover, I'm sneaking up behind a guy. It was all very fluid and very easy to do. And I, I felt like it was in some ways, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but an homage or inspired by, by Metal Gear Solid um, I had the same thought the first time I played it. I felt like it was, especially mm -hmm. the combat was just incredibly fluid and uh, just easy to yeah. get scripts with. But I think the biggest difference is it was very simple in that game. And although it felt yep. fluid, it was super simple when you compare it to Metal Gear. Yeah, the, the, you're right. I think the the, the just the complexities of, of, the, of the Metal Gear Solid games, especially for when you look at, and I think that's one of the, the disappointing things about the game is that the team put so many features into that game in terms of the grenades and the, all the weapons you can buy from Drebin and all the different systems all at play, but you don't have a really big sandbox to to mess around with them. Again, that's, I think, what MGS5 is in a lot of ways. But with 4, I think that was, it was just a bummer. I just wanted I just wanted more. You know, I wanted more opportunities to, to really uh, flex the, the game's muscles, if you will. Well, was there ever any sort of uh, uh, idea to create a sort of like the double dip of MGS4, you know, substance, subsistence, that sort of thing? Or was MGO2 sort of meant to fill that gap? There were ideas being thrown around during Metal Gear Solid 4, uh, which I guess is the first time I've ever talked about this publicly, but we we knew that we had to cut a few things, and but not that much. Not a lot was cut from that game. Uh, but we remember, I remember hearing, oh, this could maybe go into a subsistence. And I was kind of throwing some ideas around as well. And 
and some of them were to- like in talks about whether or not this game would eventually go to PC. That would go to PC or go to Xbox 360. And what would what what would be special about that mode? Uh, but I think for reasons actually that I don't know that that in, all those ideas and those uh, ended up not becoming uh, reality because the, the team shifted so hard to, to to Peace Walker in addition to building the Fox engine. Um, and simultaneously, uh, so those were. I think they kind of had their hands full. Also, also I guess I, I want to also bring up that uh, by the related to Fox Engine, the team was kind of just done with the engine that they built um, for MGS4, and then they, they built off <laughs> of MGS3's engine for it. They just they, they I think they had convinced themselves that this engine was not going to take them into the future, and so it was time to say goodbye and, and build Fox Engine. That's that kind of sense. ironic. I know there have been uh, yeah. data miners who have looked at MGS4 and have looked at pieces of the Fox engine and have seen little remnants of MGS4 that sort of hung around. Um, but yeah, Fox engine from from what I yeah from just like you said was sort of uh, entirely detached for the most part from from the previous games. Whereas before it seemed like they built each engine on top of the previous all the way up through MGS4. Yeah, definitely they would strip down a lot of things that they didn't like and then rebuild them. But yeah, the baseline, I believe, was the same. And what's, what's, what's pretty amazing when you look at what the team did on PlayStation 3 with MGS4 and then MGS5, and you can just see how powerful uh, the, the Fox engine is in terms oh, of the streaming. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the load times, obviously, like it was just constructed for more of like a modern console. Uh, it's all of its multi-platform, you know, capabilities as well, and so many other things we could talk about. But it's it's just incredible what that what that team was able to do. I looked at your credits, Ryan, and I did see that you worked on Brawl. Were you part of sort of that, I guess, transitionary team to get Snake onto Super Smash Brothers, or can you elaborate on your role with that credit? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm I don't even deserve a credit for that. I was, I, but I'll, I'll tell you just. The, the the little that I can because I wasn't I didn't have much involvement in having Snake make make it make his way into Smash Brothers, but I remember hearing from a producer, a fellow producer of, uh, that I worked with at on Metal Gear, about this super secret thing that was going on, and he like told me in a whispered voice that Snake was going to be coming to to Smash Brothers. And I thought, yeah, well, that's, that's, I mean, that's cool. <laughs> I didn't think, I, I thought like he was going to tell me that, I don't know, like, I don't know, Sony was going to buy Konami or, uh, I don't know. Don't we were say that. Do a, don't yeah, say that. Yeah. Somebody's oh, going to take that the so, wrong way. Sorry. There's been like eight rumors about that in the past year. Past oh, really? I just, I just, I, I like legitimately just threw that out there as like a, as a, like just like some kind of crazy big rumor or some big event that could happen. Oh, you know. Yeah, we're doing a Metal Gear movie or something like that. Maybe that's what would be, that would have been another kind of big shocking thing. That, but no, he was it was it smashed, and they say because being Smash Bros. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And he's like, no, you can't. This is super super secret. Nintendo's very careful about this stuff. I'm like, I know, and I get it. And like, I knew Sakurai Sam, so I, I you know I didn't want to upset him too. So I kept I kept the secret, and and then I worked very closely in secret with with NOA to do the voiceover sessions. Uh, I think. If I remember correctly, I wasn't even allowed in the room when they recorded the actual lines. I knew the lines that they were going to be recording with David, but I don't think I had permission because that's how that's secret strange. it was, even though I had to review the lines. Um, but, but I wasn't like, there to hear. So, yeah. You're reviewing like the lines, like, for instance, like the dialogue he says about on the codec for each character? Or? 
Correct. Correct. So I remember reviewing those and giving feedback or just yeah, helping coordinate that stuff. But we were recording MGS4 that for, for many, many, many weeks, myself and Chris and Brent Salter in LA. And, but then the Nintendo guys would, 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 would they flew down and, and then that was my, my cue to exit the state the studio for half an hour, hour to let David record his Smash Brothers lines. And then I came back and then they told me about some of the funny performances that David did. And I pretend not to hear that because I guess that was probably a violation. And then, um, and that was it. So, I mean, I got a, I got a credit for that. Uh, it was just, it was, it was by far the most secretive thing I think I've ever worked on. Um, That's really strange. Uh, it, at, at my time on Konami, it was because Nintendo is just so hard, hardcore about confidentiality. Yeah, that, yeah. That's I mean, f- I kind of get it today with Ultimate because the the secrecy around that and some there's so much hype that's generated around yep. every single character announcement. So, but but back during Brawl, wow. Hearing that wasn't even slightly yeah. surprising to me in any way. I, I <laughs> really, <wouldn't> <laughs> any it was like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it's. It's, it's it's it was a, something I just never experienced before, and, uh, and yeah, it's definitely stood out as a as a very distinct memory for my time there. Is it sort of a, a thing that you you mentioned before, like at Konami, you had like the secret key cards and all of this stuff? Is there anything like that you sort of brought with you to, to camouflage, or are you more open about it? Or I mean, like this is you know, you, since you get to run the show, you get to kind of decide what the culture is like to some degree. I had a, actually a, a quite long conversation with a, with a new hire uh, at Camouflage about this yesterday, in which I was explaining because he was asking me similar kind of questions, uh, and I said, you know, I've I've designed Camouflage to be very different than what I experienced at, at Konami and at Microsoft, and not because I had bad experiences there. It was it's because I just I have a different approach to leadership and and, and team dynamics. Uh, and the example I was giving him yesterday, I'll, I'll share with you all, is that in some ways the way that Kojima Productions ran was highly efficient because it it was if you needed an answer you typically would get it and it would come from Hideo and it was fairly definitive and there wasn't a lot of room for debate it depends on who you are and and to be fair like I was one of those guys that would debate it at times right and and, and to his credit he would he would listen and sometimes he would change his opinion or we would come up with a compromise right but for the most part you know if something if it was like this is what we're doing very few people questioned it and and we could move very quickly and that was again one of the, the advantages was there uh was there ever one of those like sorry i'm so sorry for keep interrupting no um, no, no, no 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 please was there like i always see this meme that's like and i regret not asking this to other people but there's always this meme that's like and then kojima said to do x y and z and at first I thought he was joking, but then he was like, get to it. Like, did you ever have like actually have those moments? Because I feel like I feel like it's partially a joke, but I've seen it like once on a behind the scenes. Yeah, no, that stuff would happen oftentimes because yeah, we were not even because he will joke around quite a bit, too. So we weren't we really weren't sure, like because because you want to be careful, because sometimes if he says, like, hey, we're going to do something. And then it doesn't happen. He's like, wait, why, why are we doing this? Like, what, where, <laughs> you haven't made progress. And then some people will say, oh, I thought you were joking, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so there, there's definitely elements like that. I'll, I can give you a specific example. Uh, with the opening movie of, M- of Metal Gear Solid 4, he threw out like three or four different ideas about what that whole thing could be that, with that, via that collaboration with Logan. And, and some of the ideas on there, I think, I think one of them was that we could, it could be claymation. <laughs> oh, that would have been sick. And that would have been and really cool. 
I think I remember talking, thinking and like wondering, is this a, is he, is he joking or is this real? But we were already heading in a different direction. So I didn't have to actually have to ask him if that was like a real suggestion or not. But, um, yeah, some, I think sometimes he, he would, he would just kind of throw out ideas and then see which one stuck uh, oftentimes. But it was pretty clear the direction that he wanted to go with because we had a, a really good meeting in LA with uh, Alex, uh, Alexi Televich, who runs Logan. And we got really excited about the TV the future future TV idea. So the claymation thing, I don't even think it up a conversation, but I remember, I remember thinking I might need to bring it up if, 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 if we weren't going to get behind this TV idea, but, uh, but I dig, I digress. Um, but yeah, to go, to go back to what I was talking about when it comes to, to camouflage though, uh, is that if you have a, so if you have that top down approach, it's, it's great. It can be really efficient, but it doesn't necessarily empower a lot of the people around the team. And you, you're not always asked and, and forced to like think critically about certain things. It's just, you're kind of being that the critical thought is happening, um, outside your purview and you're just kind of being told what to do. And I remember when I went to Microsoft, I remember being discouraged, frustrated and, um, yeah, mainly those two emotions, uh, when I would suggest something and I would get a lot of pushback and I was wondering, is this a Microsoft thing? But I realized over time that this is, it's more of a cultural thing. It's, it's just that, uh, yeah, I think at least in the States, there's much more open, open collaboration and opportunities for dissent, right. And a lot of good reasons, right. So I was, I had to like justify a lot of the things that I was, I was proposing. Um, and so when we, what we have at camouflage now is I'm, I'm, I'm trying to empower the team to act like directors, um, so I, I'm, I'm asking them more than I have in the past to come up with ideas, to come up with a vision. What's your vision statement? What are your pillars for your future? And push these things forward and, and, and can try to convince your team members and get by and rally them behind these things. But you don't have the ability to just tell people what to do. They, they sh should challenge you. And when you're challenged, I hope you, you know, you try to find compromises and win-wins and, and work with them to kind of overcome these things. And that applies to me too. So one thing that I do that I don't think we would have done at Konami was that, for example, just the other day, I had a meeting in which, uh, in which we're, I was trying to find a, um, a path forward for a gadget that we're working on in our game. And I wanted it to work one way and another team member wanted it to work another way. And we were at an impasse. And so this was the fourth meeting we had in which we're talking about, here's the reasons why I like my version and why I don't like this other approach. And it was really open. And we, 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 we came up with a really brilliant compromise and I'm super happy. And I think it's actually better than what I was coming up with originally. And that's the, one of the reasons why you go about the, the designing a studio the way I'm trying to design camouflage now is that I believe that independently I can come up with a lot of great ideas, but, um, I believe that like the best work ultimately comes from interdependence, right? That where the, the team members can challenge me and, and I don't overrule them. And, uh, but it, 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 it can be harder. It can be harder in your blood pressure. It can take like longer, <laughs> uh, uh, to, to, to create things. And you do lack a little bit of like the kind of the authorship, um, kind of the auteur element that you see in, in games right, where there's right. a lot of top down, like you get in Bioshock or you're getting Metal Gear games and, and, and so forth. But it's just a, it's just the style of leadership that I think I've, I've come into really being really excited about. And we've still got a long way to go, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's a lot of, this has been inspired by what I, what I experienced at Kojima Productions and, and at Microsoft. And this is, this is what I'm doing with Camouflage now. So you get to make it a lot more collaborative. Do you ever think someday you might want to go that auteur route and, and, and have your, like your passion project, or is that something you've already done with, with Republic or? So I thought about it because we had a problem with, uh, over the last few years, which I've been trying to address, which is 
what oftentimes people like me will do is that if they come from a more hierarchical structure, when they start a studio, they look at the Valve handbook, which is not really accurate, by the way, and they'll say, we're going <laughs> flat, right? It's just super collaborative, right? And what it's, it's exciting for a smaller team. It can work for a little while. But what ends up happening invariably is that just like in a lot of like flat societies, right, you get this kind of shadow hierarchy emerging. Yeah. And we had the same problem. And so what I'm trying to do is trying to evolve our structure to be such that it's not everybody's like completely equal, but that we have bespoke leaders of many areas of the game uh, and, and trying to empower them. So it's not just like this completely egalitarian system. Yes, some people's voices are louder and more important than others. The, the experts of this feature, the director of this feature does have more authority, but ultimately can't just overrule people because of like their job title. So that's kind of like an evolution of it. Um, of what, what we're trying to, what we're attempting still to kind of remains to be seen whether or not it's successful or not. Um, but, uh, we're moving away from like a kind of a more of a traditional flat structure at the moment. Well, Valve is kind of a unique case study anyway for that because they never, I mean, this is a company that's got steam feeding them endless amounts of passive income. So they really only need to develop projects when they want to anyway. And when they do, they do it really well. And that's what I find, I find really frustrating <laughs> is that I, you know, I, you know, it's, it's, I, I would say the same thing. I'm like, hey, we're not valid. We don't have this instant stream of money um, and where they can just work on their games for as long as they want to. But it's hard to argue like that they, they figured it out. Now, I don't think it's completely flat over there, um, even though that's what people kind of interpreted from their handbook from many years ago. There is, there are people with louder, louder voices, and I won't get into the details of it, but you know, I, I love to he learn about how they build their games. So there is a structure over there, whether or not they talk about it publicly or not is a separate thing. But when they do make their games, they're incredible. Dota 2 is an incredible game, and they built it with a fraction of the team size that League of Legends and Riot did, which is I, th I still find incredible. And then with like Half-Life Alex, most recently, what an incredible game. And yes. with a relatively small team, um, just yeah, those guys just continue to impress. They also have, like as you mentioned, though, the, the, the Steam revenue, which allows them to hire some of the best people in the entire industry. So they have just a, just a, a wild collection of absolute top of their game rock stars working there this is just an interesting conversation to have in a day where you know the type of management and and workload that develop developing teams have is is such a controversial not not controversial well yeah controversial topic <laughs> it shouldn't be controversial that's what i'm trying to say days and i both work in software development so so although we don't really under you know have a uh, you know like a first first-hand experience of what it's like to be in a busy game development studio we have a little bit of a glimpse at, at what that culture is like um so what, what, what culture do you do you mean um of just how how breakneck it can be at times and how you have to find a good balance between following orders and collaboration oh, i see with, with something with such with such high deliverables i guess i can't yeah. believe i'm using that word outside of the clock <laughs> Uh, you know, with something so that needs to be so refined, I guess I feel like it would be such a challenge to figure out what would be the best form of hierarchy and management, you know, in the days of like fi finding out these companies have these massive crunches for these AAA games. And also, it's yeah, well, yeah, not yeah. just making a piece like a product or, a you know, a piece of software, but, you know, depending on your perspective and the, and the style of your studio, you're also trying to make art as well. So there's that tug of war between business and art, I'd imagine, that's that's a constant source of frustration. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a constant source of tension, absolutely, and it's it's. Yeah, I'll, I can link it back to, to Metal Gear too, by the way, which is that I, yeah, we're making software, but it's also a creative endeavor. And one thing that we're trying to do on our team is to is to do a better job of embracing uh, iteration and and setting ourselves up for success when it comes to that, and not being upset when we when we trash things and when we we cut things and we re we 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 start from scratch or we iterate on things, which is something that's like it could be really tough for teams. Um, but I, I find I, one of the things I, I love to do in, in my off hours, if you will, is to is to talk to other game developers and learn from them. Like kind of like how you are asking me questions, I'm asking them questions. Like, tell me about the final hours of working on this game, or why? Like, how did you create the sequence, or why is your team so much faster at this stuff than we are? And I love learning. And one of the things that I just I just want to be better about, and I think we're we're being better about this on our current title is is having that that really bold iteration um, that allows for us to put in a scene. Say like yeah, it's working well here, but not really well there. And then redoing the scene, we re-mocap it, we bring in the actors again. We we, it's a it's it's a it's a way of doing work that we haven't done before, but it's different than the Metal Gear style of things, which because the but which is very alluring to a lot of or some of my team members who will tell me, can you just give me the document for what we need to build and we'll just go build it, and that was <laughs> I think MGS4 in a nutshell. It was. It wasn't a lot of iteration. It was. Here's this set piece. Here's how it's going to function. And we put the pieces in there. And because Hideo and the rest of the team had built, what three other Metal Gear games, they were pretty confident that the mechanics were just going to work. Yeah. And the set pieces were going to work. And for the most part, they were right. You know, because they could they could really make some really educated guesses, right? Uh, with MGS Five, for example, though, I think that that was a lot more different. I think it was. I could tell it was a lot more iteration heavy. It was a much longer development too, right? And I, I would assume that they had a lot more struggles. But ultimately, what I think it did is it yielded a better video game. And I think it yielded their their most solid gameplay-driven game. And in a lot of ways, they they embodied what makes Nintendo games so good, in which they're constantly focused on the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay and they're constantly iterating on it above everything else. And uh, and I think that's that's an area that, of, of development that I want to be better about um, moving forward as well. I will say, uh, I know we're we're kind of going a little long here. <laughs> Sorry to take up so much of yeah, your time. Yeah, we probably should uh, probably wrap up pretty soon. Um, but I will say, just on on one last note, that uh, regarding Metal Gear Solid Four, and thank you again for being so patient with me despite <laughs> despite my attitude. No, towards I don't need to apologize. Um, it is a game that if. There are so many individual things in that game that are so impressive to me and that I think are so creative, and I just I wish there had been more emphasis on them, or they would have had more time to to be developed out or were explored more. Um, that may be the 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 single most uh, the single biggest source of frustration for me because of how many uh, unique elements there were, and I never got to see enough of any one of them. Yeah, you you and me both, and I think it ultimately comes back to the to that iteration. When yeah, I'll, I'll leave I'll leave you with this interesting tidbit about the game, which I think I've shared a little bit publicly, but not too much. Which is, I remember, so the game, as you know, shipped on June twelfth, two thousand eight, um, and I remember going home for the Christmas and New Year's break at the end of two thousand seven, and when I came back, it was you know early January. We are 
four months from Goldmaster. We're, 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 going, we're going Goldmaster at the end of April. I can't play the game from start to finish because it's just not there. And the enemies that are placed there, oftentimes they're not even patrolling. And I can't fight a lot of the bosses because they're just not plugged in correctly. And I was just thinking, there's how we're never going to ship this game on time. And granted, it was after a delay too, right? But we're never going to ship it on June 12th. And the team, it's it's a, it's a it's a testament to the team's hard work and their talents. And also, it goes back to that the thing I was talking about, which is uh, so much of the game was planned up front, and then it was like kind of a slotting it in. And then it really wasn't until like February, March, April, three months of just playing it. Now, fully, all the parts are in there. Now, just play it, and and make make what we have good and great uh, in in a matter of three months. And it's, they're not unique in that. There was other game game developers doing this, like Japanese game developers, and I would suspect they probably did this on MGS three as well. Uh, but it didn't leave for that that kind of time that I think you're looking for, Ryan, where it's just like, wow, this part is really cool. Like, why don't we extend it? No, there's no extending this. We don't even know what it would be. <laughs> uh, it was just like all the parts, It's the, put it a different way, it, it sounds like how Boeing makes their airplanes, which is you've got a lot of engineers, a lot of blueprints, and then they order literally thousands of parts from all over the world from all these different companies, and then they have to piece it all together. And, and then there's like time for testing and things like that, obviously. Uh, but that is very much how MGS4 was built. And it doesn't leave a lot of opportunity to yeah, lean into the stuff that's working really good and then to cut or like curb back on the stuff that's not really looking good. We, we, we had literally days to make those decisions, not weeks or months. What I'm learning tonight is that uh, I've got a lot more I need to learn. So <laughs> That's <laughs> Ryan, a good thing, though, right? No, no, what you're, yeah, yeah. What you're learning is that, what you're, is that you know, MGS4 is, is not that bad. Um, and, and you're excited for, you know, hopefully a virtual re-release, which I don't have any knowledge of, obviously, but I, I'm with you. I hope that it comes out at some point again is celebrated. But here's the other thing. I, I, I really genuinely mean this. It's okay to not like that game. Like, even you could be a fan of Metal Gear and not like those games, uh, or not like a certain games or certain parts of the games. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I like Star Wars. I grew up loving Star Wars. I don't like any Star Wars film outside of maybe Rogue One since Return of the Jedi. And I think that's okay, right? Yeah, that's what we've kind of always compared Metal Gear Solid 4 to is it's like it it's the prequels. It's like where it gives you all the information about how the Force works and what a Jedi is and stuff and just kind of kills all the magic and the mystique. Ouch, that, that cuts deep for me, but I'll, I'll accept it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Damn! I've, I've I wish you I, can you so at least say it's like Rogue One. Wow! Can you at least say it's like Rogue One? <laughs> Ryan, it's like Rogue One. Maybe not. Oh, thank you. Okay, Whew. okay, we can end on a positive note. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for for making the time to talk to us. Uh, I know you're a very busy man, and it's it's just it's been really awesome to sort of reconnect with you and and have a, a conversation that, you know, I'm not completely embarrassed during. So, um, no, it's been fun. Appreciate Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, more than happy to come back at any point in time. And, uh, just, uh, thank you guys for, you know, just for your passion for the, for the, for the franchise, for what Hideo does with the the team behind these games, what they do is incredible and what they continue to do is incredible. Uh, and yeah, I just, uh, I'm just so thankful that there's, there's people out there that care to the degree that, you know, you want to create a podcast series over. Um, so yeah, so thank you.
Uh, thank you for all your work, man. We we uh, definitely all appreciate all the stuff that you've done for it. So oh, thank you. Before you go, did you want to? Um, I know you've got a lot of projects going on. Of course, everything with camouflage. Uh, you know, where can people find you if they want to learn more, find out more about the games you're working on? Anything you want to plug as you know coming up soon? Oh, thank you. Now we, uh, you know, we're we're in kind of quiet mode right now, just focusing on our next game. But we do have uh, Republic coming out on 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 Switch, PlayStation Four again, and PlayStation VR uh, sometime in early next year. We don't have a we're 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 zeroing on a release date pretty soon, so uh, we're excited for those games to come out on those platforms. But uh, besides that, yeah, we're just heads down on our current game, and uh, and yeah. So I'm wishing you uh, you and your your audience like a like happy holidays and. Um, uh, stay safe in this crazy time of the, the, the world history that we're going through and uh, looking forward to when we can talk again oh yeah, yeah thanks again Ryan thank, thank you so much thank you you betcha thank you